Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you. You're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Well, good morning and a bit of breaking news this morning uh, for all of you who know Pat Robertson, who is a longtime TV host, religious broadcaster, uh, educator, and of course, uh, founder of TBN. Uh, He has passed away early this morning at his home. He was 93 and uh, our good friend David Brody, who has joined this show so often, uh, sent me that this morning because he, as part of CBN, uh, knew Pat Robertson very well, and he had been in hospice for a while, but he is now with our Lord and Savior. So we will be praying for his family and uh, honoring his life and legacy uh, here at at AFA today. Um, so that breaking news, as well as uh, some political breaking news, will shift gears here that reports yesterday uh, that President Trump may soon, uh, if if not today, possibly tomorrow, early next week, uh, be indicted by the DOJ uh, surrounding the Mar-a-Lago documents probe. And uh, that breaking news came as well as um, some other news that uh, may or may not be accurate. I always want to be careful to not just believe all of the things that are on mainstream media, but uh, reports are suggesting that former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows um, has accepted some kind of immunity deal uh, in order to testify, and whether that is court-ordered immunity, which happens um, sometimes in the federal system, and so you're obligated uh, to go and testify even um, through executive privilege or even sometimes through attorney-client privilege, um, that may happen. His attorney, uh, Mark Meadows' attorney, said that uh, there was no other uh, deal. He didn't comment on immunity, but he said there was no other deal in terms of uh, rumors that were being reported yesterday that as part of this package, Meadows had accepted a plea deal to uh, lesser charges than he would have otherwise been indicted for surrounding uh, all of all of this uh, and the document probe. So we will still continue um, to, to bring you what we know. And there was also a post of a uh, Truth Social from President Trump that apparently, um, even though it was tweeted out by Joe Scarborough, um, you know, Morning Joe, and you obviously can never trust the fake news media, but, uh, you know, a few prominent journalists, uh, that that was critical of Mark Meadows, that ultimately ended up being um, a, a faked, a true social tweet. Um, but, you know, one never knows because uh, President Trump is, has uh, had some harsh words for a lot of people that formerly worked for him. Um, so so we were all not sure if that was actually accurate. Uh, but we always want to give you precise information. So uh, joining me now to comment on this is Mark Lauder, a good friend. And he joined us yesterday as well. We were very grateful uh, for that. But wanted to bring him back this morning uh, to comment on this and uh, also some other things surrounding the 2024 election. And uh, Mark is the chief communications uh, director for the America First Policy Institute. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Jenna. Yeah, well, great to uh, to have you back on radio. And so your thoughts um, initially around the, the Mar-a-Lago document probe, I mean, I know that there are so many other things going on 
um, with a lot of these uh, just frankly witch hunts against uh, President Trump and a lot of uh, the controversy. So your your thoughts uh, surrounding the the possible pending indictment? I guess we're still we're back on indictment watch 2023. This isn't over yet. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is just like the poster child for the weaponization of government uh, against uh, people or a specific person with whom they disagree. You know, when you look at the disparities, and I'm not going to argue the points of the law with you, but uh, you you will school me on that. But when you look at the disparity in the way various cases have been handled, I mean, go back to to Hillary Clinton, who set up a server, homebrew server in her house to receive classified information, to store classified information and official government information in a non-secured setting, 33,000 emails, then destroyed evidence by wiping those servers clean and and destroying uh, Blackberries and cell phones with with sledgehammers, and, and again, using software to wipe those things clean. And she's not charged. She clearly had intent. She intentionally did this, did this for a number of years, destroyed the evidence, and there's no charges. You look and see how they've handled, obviously, the case that involved former Vice President Mike Pence, uh, President Biden from his time as going all the way back to when he was a senator – through the vice presidency, where he had classified information stored in his garage next to his Corvette at multiple locations for many, many, many years. And when they found it, well, they were given time to go find more. And 80 days later, they're still finding more and more and more documents. And yet they, the FBI you know, conducts an unprecedented raid at Mar-a-Lago. They're now looking to charge the, uh, the former president, you know, criminally, uh, you know, where they take a pass on Hillary Clinton. Obviously, Mike Pence has been cleared. We don't know what will happen with Biden, but I mean, history would suggest that nothing will happen with Biden. And it's just, again, if we're going to have a set of laws and let's apply them equally to everyone, regardless of your party, your politics, or whether you support the current regime or not. I was speaking with Mark Lauder, who is uh, with the America First Policy Institute, and I think that what so many people are frustrated with this, ent- the scope of this entire thing, Mark, is exactly uh, what you just articulated. Which it, it, you know, the the left loves to say, "Well, no one is above the law." Well, no one is below the law either, uh, meaning that we don't just um, uh, try to target an individual and then find something. Uh, that he or she is guilty of and go and target them and say, we're going to then throw the book at you when we haven't treated anyone else in similar circumstances like this. And I think that's what's so frustrating um, for for most of us who've seen what President Trump and his family have gone through over the last, you know, it's been, what, seven years now with all of these different things that um, that government agencies are throwing at him. Um, it, it seems like the government is just specifically targeting him and trying to, w- with the goal of trying to destroy his his next campaign. And that's why I think a lot of people are very ardently supporting him because they see that this is not just. And um, and so how so then shifting gears a little bit from you know away from the legal and and of course we'll continue to talk about this as we get more information of exactly what. Uh, he may be charged with uh, reports are suggesting, you know, obstruction of justice, the Espionage Act, some, you know, some other things like that. We'll see what actually is charged if there is an indictment. But, um, but really, if the goal mark is to say, okay, we are trying to make this so that it, so that President Trump drops out, um, how, how do you think that other candidates are going to 
uh, view this? And do you think that others like um, the North Dakota governor that's now jumped in the race, which you know has, I, I don't think he has any real shot here, uh, but do they possibly smell blood in the water and are saying, well, if in the instance that President Trump does leave the race for whatever reason, then I want to be right there. I mean, is that perhaps part of the rationale behind this? Or how do you see this shaping up with so many people now jumping into the race? Well, I think there's probably some of that calculation uh, for many of the other for many of the other candidates that you know, should that happen because we we never know what's going to happen in politics. We think we know and we we hope to game plan it out, but we're we're never usually right on it. Uh, that you know, if for some reason you know he is no longer in the race, then that's why they want their name in there because you can't win if you don't run. You can't even be under consideration, and all of that support would have to go somewhere. Uh, you know, but history being any guide, you know, when they indicted him over those drummed up charges in New York, Donald Trump got stronger. He he increased his lead in the Republican primary field because I think so many people saw the weaponization of government again, you know, on display. And I wouldn't have I wouldn't think that that would be anything different than if this happens again this time. And so that's why you even saw like former Vice President Mike Pence, who announced his campaign yesterday, was on CNN last night. He was asked by Dana Bash uh, about the indictment or potential of indictment, and he immediately he didn't he immediately moved it over to the two tiered justice system and why they're being weaponized. And so you know, they're not necessarily because they all believe they know what the Republican base believes. And so they have to walk right. that fine line of, you know, yes, this is true. And yes, trust me, if Trump's wasn't name wasn't on the ballot, they would be doing the same thing to Pence. They'd be doing the same thing to DeSantis or whomever is the leading candidate at the time. They will do whatever they can to target the, uh, the Republican. They will do everything they can to protect Joe Biden and his family's crime regime and we know this. We've seen it happen and play out over and over again. I mean, this will, this is now what? You know, we've had two presidential elections in a row that the FBI has been involved in. And who's to say there's not going to be the third one? Well, and this is what's really uh, concerning, I think, to so many people is to say, OK, even, you know, putting uh, 2020 aside in terms of, you know, some of the, the justice that a lot of people um, feel did not happen. And, uh, you know, but, but even looking forward to the next election, a lot of people are saying, okay, well, what, what's to say that we have secure elections now? And how do we know that there won't be some of this other interference, like the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story, for example, that who knows how that affected things. And um, so even within the, not only the context of, you know, the FBI and the government that is involved in all of this, but even the mainstream media. And I think this is why it's so important that um, there are outlets like Twitter, for example, and there are other um, social media and other media outlets that um, that are kind of breaking through some of the gatekeeping that you and I both know very well is in Washington, uh, where we can talk about these stories and get out more information to the public. Um, and so how then does this, does Chris Christie factor into all of this? Because um, Mark Lauder, I, I think it's really fascinating that he's running um, basically completely against what what I would agree with you is the, the other Republican candidates are walking this fine line. They're acknowledging 
that President Trump has been targeted. They know that that's what the base um, truly, that's that's where the base stands. But Chris Christie is basically running saying, the only reason I'm doing this is to get on the debate stage to tr- to troll Donald Trump and to call him out on all of you know what seems like his personal grievances. Um, and even Ann Coulter tweeted yesterday, everyone should donate to Chris Christie to get him on the debate stage because you know she wants to see that clash and that drama. Uh, what's your perspective on this and how successful that might be? Oh, I don't think there's going to be any success uh, in it for Chris Christie. Now, whether he is able to land a few haymakers against Donald Trump, I mean, obviously, Chris Christie is a very skilled debater. He is a fighter. He is a former uh, U.S. attorney, if I remember correctly. Uh, you know, so he knows how to do this. And if I'm one of the other candidates, maybe not DeSantis, but all the other candidates, I'm counting on him to do this because they want him to say the things they don't want to have to say. Because if anyone is going to take out Trump, you basically are going to make yourself unelectable yourself. You know, you, it's very difficult to, say, attack Trump. And if you are successful, then count on the MAGA base that supports him to then support you in a general election. I just don't see how that works. But if you basically use a third-party Trojan horse candidate to do the dirty work, and you sit there back and smile on the debate stage and just nod your head and shake your head – and let him do it. And then if, if he is successful, not saying he will be, you can then, you know, it's like, I didn't do it, but I, but I'm going to fight for the issues that matter to you. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. And, you know, and I think you're absolutely spot on in that analysis. Um, And we've seen that no Republican has ever gone toe to toe with president Trump and come out the victor on the other end. I mean, and, and I think that that is really what um, someone like Governor DeSantis, who right now is kind of sitting in, you know, the second uh, position and is looking to, to overtake Trump, that is going to be the fine line that he's going to have to walk in calling out some of the, um, you know, what he would consider the um, the policy uh, losses or, you know, some other things um, or some of the personal disputes, but without doing it in a way that loses uh, votes for him in the general election if he gets that far. So, I mean, it's a really fine line to walk. Very interesting. So uh, real quick and just last like 15 seconds, um, closing thoughts, Mark Lauder on, you know, where this goes from here. Well, I mean, obviously, I think they will indict the president. I think he'll continue to get stronger. And I think this continues to be a one person race right now. It's Donald Trump to lose. Uh, can anyone step up and, uh, and you know, knock him off the top of the hill? Yeah, well, well said. And I would agree with you that it's it's Donald Trump's to lose at this point. He's so far ahead in the polls, but we'll see how uh, this all progresses. We have a long way to go. And we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we are talking about uh, the top story, of course, this morning, that there is another possible pending indictment against uh, former President Donald Trump. So we are yet again on Indictment Watch 2023 and how all of that uh, shakes down. Of course, we will bring you uh, the news and the legal analysis of all of that. And I want to bring in our special guest today, uh, presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. And um, Vivek, we definitely want to get into uh, Ukraine, some of these other uh, policy positions surrounding the 2024 election. But uh, right off the top, I want to get your reaction uh, to this possible indictment over the Mar-a-Lago controversy, at least just what we know so far, and from the perspective of how you think this may impact 
the primary race? Well, again, I can't tell you how it would impact the primary race. What I could tell you is my perspective on the reports of a potential indictment itself. And I'm sorry to say, here we go again. I'll say the same thing I said before. We are not a country where the party in power should be able to use police force to arrest its political opponents. And yet it is a sad day for me to watch this country devolve into a nation whose day I thought would never I would see come in my lifetime. Yet that's where we are. And so I think there are complex legal questions for the courts as to whether a president can unilaterally declassify documents. If the president can't do it, I don't know who can. I think there's deep questions about the legality or potential illegality of the overclassification of documents on the order of millions upon millions of documents that are classified by the administrative state without guidelines or procedures to know what actually is classified or not, especially if it's going to be at behest of criminal penalties for someone violating the classification rules. Those are complex questions for the courts. That's not where I'm opining. I just believe that the people of this country have to have the ability to decide who the U.S. president is. And I'm saying this as somebody, one thing that I could tell you the political consequence of it is, it's definitely going to be easier for me to succeed in winning the presidency if my competition's eliminated from running, certainly the top person in the field right now, according to polls. But I believe in standing on the side of principle, and I will unapologetically state that I would rather win by convincing the citizens of this country And whether it's Joe Biden or whether it's me, I think that's the way we want to get things done in the way we govern our democratic process. And I would hope that every American, regardless of party or politics or whether they love or hate Donald Trump or anyone else would agree with that. And and I think this is what was so frustrating to everyone in the aftermath of the 2020 election was just this feeling that the rules were broken and that we all as a as an American society participate in the process of selecting our leaders. And, you know, if someone loses fairly, then we get that and maybe we're disappointed. But we don't like to see the breaking of the rules, the manipulating of the rules, or, you know, targeting of political opponents in ways that would try to eliminate them from the process other than just fundamental fairness. So I think that that's Um, really well stated, Vivek. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of this, though, in terms of the weaponization of government and um, even targeting like uh, parental rights groups. Um, The Southern Poverty Law Center came out with this um, addition to the hate map. And I saw that, you know, you've been tweeting about this as well, that um, the Southern Poverty Law Center um, has added parental rights groups, including Moms for Liberty, um, their uh, co-founder will actually be on my podcast later today. You can find that at the Um, But I wanted to get your reaction um, to this because this is just yet another example of how the woke machine of the left is trying to target conservatives specifically with this weaponization of government and suggest that somehow the rules are different for us than anybody else. Yeah, well, look, I think that this is an example of the invisible workings of the woke industrial complex in America. I mean, you're going to look at the number of companies from Apple on down that have given heavy donations to the Southern Poverty Law Center over the last number of years. It is staggering. They use this as a frontman where left-wing organizations thought they were using companies. Companies sometimes 
were shy to make these social judgments on their own. Others have directly made them. But what they do is they then fund the Southern Poverty Law Center, and then the Southern Poverty Law Center uses that money to browbeat these companies back into submission by using the label of a hate group. It was almost the most easily labeled organization, Southern Poverty Law Center. Sounds like a neutral organization focused on addressing poverty. You'd be wrong. This is an organization that's now deciding who does and does not count as a hate group in America. And the sad part is our own dollars are indirectly used to fund it via companies that we own through our 401k accounts or our retirement accounts. They're giving shareholder money, donating it to the Southern Poverty Law Center to use back against them to browbeat them. So I think that this is, I think, a travesty of our culture. It's an example of the confluence of private power and corporate power to together create a cultural zeitgeist and fear that wouldn't have existed without either of them alone. But the devious part of this is they're using some nonprofit intermediary to shunt it onto them. It's one big game of accountability. And, and I think it's pretty remarkable that there's a former FBI agent on MSNBC just the other day who was cheering the Southern Poverty Law Center and the designation of all of the groups, including Moms for Liberty, as hate groups. Just more proof that the FBI itself is the same FBI, by the way, that was directed by the current attorney general to investigate concerned parents at school board meetings at domestic terrorists is the same FBI that partnered with the Southern Poverty Law Center in the past. So I think that this is a this is a racket, needs to be exposed as such, and I think it's going to take courage of people across this country to do it, and that's why I've been so focused on this since the time I wrote Woke Inc. When I first exposed the SPLC's scam, I'm going to continue to stay on that. Yeah, and, and we're very thankful for that. And I'm speaking with a presidential candidate, Vivek Ramaswamy. And um, Vivek, I want to pivot now to um, to Ukraine because, you know, this has been a very interesting topic that um, not a lot of uh, other candidates are really talking about in the GOP. And that actually really surprises me that um, this has been such a focus for a lot of conservatives that are so uh, frustrated with seeing all of the funding from the Uniparty in Washington that has gone to Ukraine, um, all of this this uh, interventionalism and you know all of these things that are that are happening, I think against what we would consider the conservative position, and and I would agree with you that um, as you have said on on social media and elsewhere that this is going to be the key distinguishing issue. Um, between the the candidates in the GOP, but I I also was very impressed with what uh, Robert F Kennedy Jr. on the Democrat side is very openly talking about Ukraine and and talking about actual practical solutions. And you're really the only one that uh, on the GOP side that is given a comprehensive response to how you would actually address the Ukraine situation instead of just kind of being vague about it. And, uh, you know, putting that out there and kind of pivoting. So walk us through what your perspective actually is and the the solution that you would see as president to um, the entire Russia-Ukraine situation. Yes, absolutely. So I have a clear vision on how do we actually advance American interests? That is the question we should be asking. So, yes, like certain others who are a minority in the Republican Party, I do not think we should give another dime of support to Ukraine. I would rather sooner use our military resources to secure our own southern border instead of somebody else's border somewhere else. But, Jen, I want to go further than that to be clear about exactly how I do this. 
I want to use this as an opportunity to advance America's top objective in that part of the world, which is, I think, pulling Russia out of the China alliance that it's in. The China-Russia alliance actually does represent the biggest military threat we're going to face. Russia has the world's biggest nuclear stockpile. We're goading Russia further and further into risking nuclear war. China, by contrast, has us really has the boot on our neck of our economy as we depend on them for our modern way of life. Put those two together, now we have a real military threat, bigger than anything we've faced in the last half century or more. So what I think is, I would do a deal with Vladimir Putin. Yes, it would make some concessions in Ukraine, freeze the current lines of control in a Korean War-style armistice agreement. I would further commit to make sure that Ukraine is never admitted to NATO. That, too, is a big concession. But in return, I would not only have Putin remove all of his nuclear weapons from Kaliningrad, which borders Poland, and military presence in the West, in Venezuela, Cuba, etc. That's small stuff. But the big thing I would demand is that China and Russia, or that Russia exits its military alliance with China. And that would be a big deal for us, because right now, Xi Jinping is making the bet that if he goes for Taiwan, the U.S. won't want to go to simultaneous war with two different allied nuclear superpowers, Russia and China. And he's probably right about that. But in the case where Russia is no longer allied with China, we have a trilateral international order with the three major nuclear superpowers, rather than the current bilateral order that favors China. In, th- in that scenario, I think Xi Jinping will have to think twice before going for Taiwan. And one of my top foreign policy objectives is absolutely deterring Chinese aggression towards Taiwan in a way that avoids war with anyone. And that's the way I'm going to lead, advancing American interests first. I'm a George Washington, America first conservative. George Washington warned against foreign entanglements that do not advance the national interest. I think he was correct, and I will govern accordingly as well. And, Jen, it's remarkable that the Republican Party, pretty much every other candidate, uh, Trump has said he would end, end the war in 24 hours. He hasn't specified how. And every other candidate has lined up on the same side as Biden. And the neocon establishment, I think, infiltrates both parties, whereas I'm on the side of putting American interests first, doing it without apology, even though I think many people have already in both parties been quite upset at the foreign policy vision that I've laid out. Mm. And really well articulated. And and I I agree with you, Vivek, that you're the only one uh, so far who has laid out a specific strategy and has really responded uh, to this issue. And it surprises me that, um, that this isn't a bigger focus for some of the other candidates that, uh, you know, the President Trump really hasn't uh, laid out any clear vision. Do you anticipate that in the forthcoming debate, um, this is going to be a focus? Or um, do you anticipate that, uh, that maybe, you know, that there will be other issues that um, the Republican Party is going to want to address with, you know, the RNC kind of coordinating all of the debates? And is this something you want to bring to the debate stage? It's a good question, Jen. I mean, I think we should address the issues that are the most important issues. So it's always possible that there will be a surprise peace agreement in the next three months. I don't see things heading that way. So in absence of that happening, I do think that this needs to be a key issue that we debate, which is what is our vision for foreign policy? What is our vision for devoting military resources, hundreds of billions of our dollars, and and potentially the risks we take, including even the risks of nuclear war? I think these are some of the most important issues that nobody's talking about. And so I will be forcing those issues 
No, look, I think I'm rooting for the U.S. to do the right thing and exit the war, enter a peace treaty. I've laid out exactly a plan that Biden can follow. I think that would be unambiguously the right thing for the country, but I don't believe he's going to do it. And that's part of why I'm in this race. Yeah. And um, and I think that the the American people in terms of the genuinely conservative base, not the uniparty in Washington and, you know, some of unfortunately, some of our leaders, I completely disagree with Kevin McCarthy's position on um, funding Ukraine and, you know, him wearing the little flag all over the place. I mean, I think that's so, unbelievable. Um, yes, absolutely. And it's so ridiculous. And I think that the the genuine conservative base wants to see a strong Republican leader that is willing to go against the uniparty and this this unbelievable uh, position. And and I don't understand what it is about um, some of the other candidates that aren't willing to be as bold on some of these issues as you are. And so, I mean, it, and, and I know that this is a little bit more speculative, but what is it about your race that you were just willing to call things as you see it and I think address some of these issues that perhaps some of the other candidates um, may not be? I think the donor influence is a big piece of it, Jenna. Uh, and this, is, this part's not speculation, at least in terms of what I see. Many large donors tell me that they're, I had one yesterday, one of the largest donors in the, in the GOP or historical donors in the GOP field, tells me that he's disappointed in my position on Ukraine. And I Explained in my position, I respectfully said, hey, okay, well, that's, I understand where you're at, but this is where I'm at, and, and that's part of why the debate is going to make our party stronger. But I know that other candidates, even other candidates who have adopted a position similar to mine, only to change it within days, it's Ron DeSantis' case, within days backed off his position that he laid out to Tucker. I understand where they're coming from because there's severe donor pressure to do it. I experience it too. In my position, I'm coming in as an outsider. And I don't depend on that mega donor class for this candidacy. I put in over $10 million already of my own money to this campaign. We'll stop at nothing because that's what it's actually going to take in order to speak on behalf of we the people rather than to be dependent on really the same donor class that's pulling the strings of both the Republican and Democratic Party alike. I think the super PAC syndrome in American electoral politics, I think, has been bad for both parties, certainly been bad for ours. Yeah, really well said. Well, I look forward to uh, the debates, and I'm uh, very excited to see you on that stage, Vivek. Congratulations for that. Um, that's something I know was the key objective initially early on in your campaign. And this is why debates are so important, to actually see the policy positions and hear from the candidates. And I hope that people like Governor DeSantis will be uh, very particular and articulate on exactly what his position is as well, and the other candidates. Um, that's really important to all of us as voters. And I've said for a long time, I really don't like how you know these private organizations uh, govern the primaries. I know it's their ticket and you know all of that, but um, you know I really wish we could uh, come up with a better system, at least for the primaries. But we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. 
Welcome back. And we are talking uh, some of the top trending headlines in the country this morning. And uh, one of them is, of course, about uh, our constitutionally protected right to keep and bear arms. I know a lot of you who listen to uh, this show and who are around uh, the country are very concerned about the uh, continuing opposition to the Second Amendment by a lot of the uh, leftists out there. And um, Connecticut is now one that uh, has a, a lawsuit um, that has been filed against the uh, really one of the most um, extreme gun control uh, bills in the country. It was a 2013 law that was passed in the aftermath of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. And so the latest legal fights um, are around uh, this particular law that is now being open to challenge because of the U.S. Supreme Court and um, last year when there was, as the leftists would articulate, expanded gun rights. But uh, my position, of course, is simply the Supreme Court is recognizing the Second Amendment. But um, the Idaho-based group, We the Patriots USA, that uh, is filing a lot of legal challenges over a lot of these issues that concern conservatives, are now stepping into this fight. I was very privileged to uh, be in Boise at the first ever We the Patriots USA conference with uh, some of our good friends, Abby Johnson, Charlie Kirk, and others um, at that conference last weekend. And uh, we look forward to uh, continuing to see what We the Patriots um, organization will do for the country. Um, but their founder, Brian Festa, joins me today to talk about this new legal challenge. So, um, Brian, thanks so much for all of the work you do. And um, this lawsuit, I think, is um, is really incredible that now uh, you have an opportunity to challenge this law based on the precedent now from the U.S. Supreme Court. So what's, um, what is this lawsuit targeting specifically and why is it uh, important right now? Good morning, Jenna. And before I ask your question, I just want to say thank you once again for joining us in Boise for our first national conference last weekend. Everybody enjoyed your speech. It was amazing, and we were really blessed to have you there. Well, thank um, you. So, yes, this lawsuit we just filed literally on Tuesday. Yes, that was June 6th. We literally just filed it a couple of days ago in federal court challenging Governor Lamont and the Connecticut State Legislature passing what is really a radical um, leftist activist bill. I mean, I, I hate to even call it uh, a gun control bill or, or any, any kind of safety measure, because what it actually does is make the people, the residents, the law-abiding citizens of Connecticut significantly less safe. It bans the open carry of firearms. It limits the number of handguns um, someone can purchase at any given time to three within a 30-day period. Um, really, and there's a whole host of other of other um, restrictions. Uh, so-called assault weapons ban that was that you mentioned was enacted uh, after the Sandy Hook tragedy about a decade ago. Um, it expands that even more. Uh, so that, you know, certain kinds of uh, rifles are prohibited, um, allegedly closing a, a loophole that they say was there before. Um, it updates the ban on ghost guns from 2019 to include those, those that were assembled prior to the enactment of that ban, um, and a large-capacity magazine ban. I mean, it just goes on and on. There's about, I think, about 12 different things this bill does. 
Our lawsuit specifically is brought on behalf of two individual residents of Connecticut, gun owners, as well as We the Patriots USA. We are the lead plaintiff in this lawsuit because we feel this is an egregious violation of our members' uh, Second Amendment rights. Um, again, this is leftist, radical, activist legislation. Uh, this has nothing to do with protecting public safety. There's absolutely zero evidence, as you know, Jenna, zero evidence that placing bans like this on the possession uh, or the uh, bearing of firearms in any way uh, increases public safety or lowers crime. In fact, we see quite the opposite in places like Chicago, right, that have the strictest gun laws in the nation and yet have the worst violence committed using firearms. Yeah, and Brian Festa, um, I, I think that's so well articulated that, you know, the leftists are trying to simply control um, law-abiding citizens from exercising our constitutional protected rights. I mean, that's just the bottom line with all of these, you know, so-called gun control uh, bills or these these ways that um, these states and these leftist liberals are trying simply to infringe upon our rights and to, to, you know, redefine the Second Amendment and say, you know, oh, well, that was just for hunting or, you know, all of these different ways that they're trying to um, to control us, to infringe on our rights, and also to um, suggest somehow that, um, that their version of gun control is a solution to any of these problems. I mean, you know, they, they don't do this in any other scenario, like, for example, um, you know, even in, in driving. Well, you know, they're, they're not suggesting that just because people, um, there are some people who drive drunk, which of course there are laws that prohibit that and punish that, that now everyone should just never be able to drive again, or that you have to, um, you, you know, that driving was only meant for, uh, you know, the way back in the day and, you know, uh, cart horses and buggies. I mean, you know, all of these things that the leftists are trying to use in any other context really don't fit. And so when we see extreme laws like this in Connecticut, um, I hope that you're looking at my former home state of Colorado that just, you know, passed an incredibly restrictive, um, you know, gun rights uh, bill. And that's, of course, you know, the the, the leftists. Um, how do they think they're going to get away with this with the Supreme Court just uh, reaffirming just last year um, not only the Heller decision, but also specifically saying that an individual's right to carry a handgun um, is part of the the constitutional protections. And so, I mean, th this really should not be an issue in litigation like it is right now when the Supreme Court has been very clear and the Constitution is very clear. Yes, I agree. I mean, it's Clearly, uh, political showman, showmanship, um, they know, I believe, they have to know that this is going to be overturned in the courts, um, if not in the District Court of Connecticut or in the Second Circuit, certainly by the Supreme Court, as you mentioned, as currently constituted. There's no way this is going to stand. And in fact, um, you know, the evidence of the political motivation was on full display yesterday when the White House press sector secretary during the press conference praised Governor Lamont for passing this and for take it and, and called on Congress to do the same. So this is clearly a political move to try to get a lot of political pats on the back and hand clapping uh, from the Biden administration, which Governor Lamont got yesterday. That's exactly what he was looking for. But we sent out a tweet um, actually right after that happened, tweeting the press secretary's statement saying, well, this isn't going to end 
quite with the the victory and the applause that that, that you're getting now. Uh, the way this is going to end is by being overturned in the United States Supreme Court. I mean, it is just so. To me, it's just so brazen that they would do this in the wake of decisions like Bruin um, in you know last year, and then prior to that, of course, in, in the Heller decision, uh, where it was recognized that there was an, an individual right to bear arms. I mean, I had a reporter. I'm not. For the sake of being nice, I'm not going to mention the reporter's name that I spoke to uh, a few days ago when we filed this. I did a, an interview over the phone, and that reporter, again, very obviously left-leaning, had the gall to ask to to point out that the Second Amendment mention, mentions uh, well-regulated militia, and so <laughs> this is not uh, an individual right. And I said, "Have you read the Heller decision that's been out for like you know over a decade now?" I mean. Uh, the Supreme Court already decided that's not what that means, that there is an individual right to bear arms. And then, like I said, the Bruen decision solidified that, that, is, that exists not just in the home, but outside of the home as well. <laughs> that's hilarious. And, you know, I don't even like to to acknowledge that these people think they're reporters. They're really just activists. And, you know, they, they try to do these interviews and... I mean, I, I've been on uh, the receiving end of this as well, Brian, and you handled it, it sounds like, beautifully because, you know, they're just wanting to drive their own narrative and they're completely intentionally ignoring the Supreme Court precedent where when the precedent serves them and their purpose, like what we heard for decades uh, when Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey were still on the books, well, that is super precedent now. That is, you know, so ingrained in our um, in our culture now that, you know, a woman has a so-called right to abortion and, you know, they laud this Supreme Court decision as if it could never, ever be overturned. And then yet they conveniently ignore the Supreme Court whenever they want to. And, you know, this is this is the reason, though, why hopefully the court of public opinion is still different than um, the, the court of law, because hopefully we still have a forum where process, for the most part, uh, can still happen, and we still have rules, and we still have precedent, and we still have, uh, we can still invoke provisions of the U.S. Constitution. But I just think it's so ridiculous how these reporters go after this narrative. So, um, so you've just filed this lawsuit. What are the next steps then, and uh, how can people help and participate and support We the Patriots in your great work? Yeah, so we just filed a few days ago, so obviously um, the other side of the state will have a chance to respond, to reply, file an answer. Uh, we expect, of course, as you know, that they will file um, a motion to dismiss, uh, dispositive motion, as we call it, and try to get this talked uh, in federal court. Um, we don't expect that to be successful. As you know, that's a very high bar, and, and clearly there are um, issues, uh, very serious legal issues that need to be resolved here. Um, and um, we clearly have standing and all those other things that are required for a lawsuit. Um, so it, we, we don't expect it to be thrown out, but we have to go through that process. As you just mentioned, that is, you know, due process, right? We have uh, a, a justice system. They have a right to answer and respond. And so this will be battled out, but um, we uh, we expect to find ourselves, I mean, there's a very good chance, considering that this is in the Second Circuit, um, that, you know, we, we will find ourselves at the United States Supreme Court, because that's usually what happens, whether it's the Second Circuit, the Ninth Circuit, any of these places, as you know, uh, where um, somehow 
very often we get these decisions that are very curious, even though we have clear Supreme Court precedent saying one thing, um, there'll be a, a decision that, quite frankly, shocks me, um, but I guess should um, And so we end up finding ourselves the Supreme Court, and then they have to reverse the Ninth Circuit or the Second Circuit in this case. Um, and you mentioned Colorado, so I just want to put a, a call out there. I know you have, uh, I'm sure you have, a lot of listeners um, from your home state. Please, please, if there is someone out there that is a uh, gun owner um, that uh, has believed, uh, obviously, in protecting the Second Amendment rights and wants to help us do that, contact us about becoming a plaintiff. We would love to file something there. As you mentioned, uh, the uh, radical legislation that was just passed in that state as well, or in any state uh, that recently had a law like this passed. We're always looking for new plaintiffs, but that brings me uh, so the last thing I want to say in answer to your question, uh, how people can help besides being a plaintiff in a lawsuit, and that is uh, funding, because we are a nonprofit organization that relies exclusively on donations for public funding. So if you go to thepatriotsusa.org, you'll see right on our homepage we have a 2A legal fund, Second Amendment legal fund. You can also just donate through our regular donate button. Um, and if you want to add a note that you want it specifically to go to the Second Amendment litigation, you can do that as well. Uh, so it's a couple of different ways right there on the homepage. You'll see uh, you see that 2A legal fund. If you want to donate specifically to that, just scroll down a little bit, like in the, in the middle of the page. But uh, it's right there at wethepatriotusa.org. And we gratefully appreciate uh, your donations. We are so blessed to have so many uh, supporters around the country who join us in this fight back. I mean, a lot of people feel like they're, they're helpless. There's nothing they can do because the, the tide of tyranny, Jenna, is just so overwhelming at times. People feel like they're drowning in it. But mm. I'll tell you, this is how you can, you can be a part of it. This is how you can stand in the gap with us is by making a contribution. If you're able to, no donation is too small. We the Patriots, USA.org. Mm. Well, Brian Festa, I really appreciate all of the work that you do, and um, you know this was important to me to to support your organization, and um, I was very blessed to come out and um, and be part of that event last weekend in Boise. Um, really great turnout, and it was encouraging. It's always encouraging to see um, the the gatherings of uh, people who really care about our country, care about the future of our nation and making sure that we protect and preserve our rights that are God-given for the next generation. And, you know, like I said at that um, event for everyone, you can go to wethepatriotsusa.org and there are not enough attorneys to cover all of these issues. And that's why there are it's so important organizations like this, um, even though they are, you know, they're nonprofit. And so, you know, they rely on donations. Um, this is a way that you can help um, because, uh, they also advance, you know, medical freedom issues, um, making sure that, you know, vaccine mandates are never permissible. A lot of this stuff, when I was representing um, Grace Community Church and Pastor John MacArthur, um, you know, there were so many people that reached out to me that I didn't have time. Uh, the Thomas More Society, Alliance Defending Freedom, you know, these We the Patriots, we don't have enough time for everyone. And so we need to support all of these organizations so we can get more lawyers. So go to wethepatriotsusa.org. As always, you can reach me, Jenna, at AFR.net. And make it a great day. Stand for truth in our community. And I will see you tomorrow morning.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.